Turn with me to the book of Hosea, please. The book of Hosea. How will you find the book of Hosea if you're not used to it? Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea. Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea. If you're taking notes, get your pen and paper out. There was some pen and paper going this morning. There was quite a lot of ink used this morning, I think. And we had a good time in the presence of the Lord in our studies on the Pentecostal flame. <clears throat> I'd better watch my voice tonight. I have to preach in a meeting after this. I have to leave more or less almost straight after. So I better hope that I don't get too carried away and lose my voice before I get to the next one. <clears throat> Hosea chapter 6, please. Beginning to read it in verse 1. Come and let us return unto the Lord, for he hath torn and he will heal us. He hath smitten and he will bind us up. After two days will he revive us, and the third day he will raise us up. And we shall live in his sight. Then shall we know if we will follow on to know the Lord. His goings forth is prepared as the morning, and he shall come unto us as the rain as the latter and former rain onto the earth. You know, whenever we look at the Old Testament Scriptures and then the New Testament, the Reformation, that is the Protestant Reformation, was foretold in both of them, prophesied. We're going to look at that, God willing, tonight. And so I recently was given, actually by two people, a clip to see what I thought of Kenneth Copeland. Well, just, he was having a meeting, and he says in his meeting, he had a, a, a list of men behind him, and one is a Jesuit priest. And he's trying to tell his people that they are of the body of Christ. Later, the blasphemy goes on to say this, that not only that, but he goes on to tell his congregation that just three days past this week, they had conference with all of them together, fellowshipping one with another. He says they are his brethren in Christ and that they are Christians. I beg to differ. He then goes on not only to bring his own church in, but wanting to broadcast it that many especially in charismatic circles, will come, not only join them, but fellowship again with the Church of Rome. He then goes on to say in this video clip that the split, as he calls it, at the Protestant Reformation was divisive. It was a spirit of division, and it's a spirit of division that still hangs over the body of Christ. We're going to look at that tonight. This is not the spirit of division, brothers and sisters. It was off the Lord. It was off the Holy Ghost. And so we'll look at it tonight. We're going to look at how God had planned it and how he had purposed it. And not only that, he called it evil. His words, not mine. He called that which God had done at the Reformation evil, a divisive spirit. He's an apostate. 
Notice this. Before I start, I want to say that this is not, and I want to stress this, we have Roman Catholics who come here and they're saved. They've got saved and left the Church of Rome. There's one. Sorry, Aaron. <laughs> and he's English too, that's even worse. <laughs> but we love him. And there's others. Some aren't here tonight. What I want to say this is not against the Catholic person whatsoever, but the system that has them bound in darkness. I want to make that clear. I want to stress that. And let me also stress there are many so-called Protestants who think being a, a Protestant is carrying a blue bag and singing along the side of the band on the 12th. They don't know the Savior. They don't know God. They need saved too, just as much. I want to stress that tonight. In our, in our reading here, we find that Hosea is speaking on behalf of the Lord through the inspiration, the unction of God. And he's speaking to the northern kingdom of the house of Israel. When you go through your prophets, you realize certain prophets and certain books of the Old Testament speaks to certain people. And here he's speaking to the northern kingdom. Now notice, Israel in the Old Testament is God's timepiece for all that will happen in the nations, even right to this day. And even the capital city, Samaria, was in the north. Jerusalem was in the south, in the southern kingdom of Judah, is still a timepiece for what will happen in the last days that we are living in. I.e., people call it the Battle of Armageddon and so on. So we're going to look at a timepiece this, this evening. And it's split into two pieces, but we're going to look at the northern kingdom. And the timepiece where it brings us, for we're always looking at the southern kingdom. The northern kingdom timepiece. Let's read the first verse here. Come, let us return to the Lord, unto the Lord, for he hath torn, he will heal us. He hath smitten, and he will bind us up. There's three things we're going to notice in these three verses. One, we're going to see Israel's God, or we're going to see the Father. We're going to see him breaking the kingdom apart. We're going to see how he says, this split is from me. He says it in 1 Kings chapter 12, in the think, verse 24. He splits them into two kingdoms, the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. And as he does this, then the timepiece carries on with the seven times punishment, but it carries on in other things also. Now, stay with me, for this is very important. We see him smiting. Secondly, we're going to see through the Son him uniting, united in Christ. We're going to see the kinsman redeemer. We're going to see the Savior coming that we may be reconciled back to God. Then thirdly, we're going to see the latter days, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in verse 3 of this. And it's a timepiece. Then we'll look, God willing, in the book of Revelation. Notice this. For he, that is God or the Father, hath torn, for he will heal. He is the one who does the turning, and so only he can heal. For he, that is God, hath smitten, 
and he that is God will bind us up. So only God who has done the tearing is the only one who can bind us up. Nothing else will save a soul. Nothing else can bring together man from God and bring them together except he be God himself. Notice this, the prophet Isaiah says in Isaiah chapter 61, if you will turn quickly to it, please. Isaiah 61 and verse 1. Isaiah is speaking to both kingdoms throughout his book, but mainly to the southern kingdom of Judah. But to both kingdoms at times. Contemporaries of the prophet Isaiah were Amos. The book of Amos, Amos was from the southern kingdom and he was sent to the northern kingdom to preach against them, to prophesy. Amos was around part of the time of Isaiah. And of course, we also had Micah, who preached to Judah at the south. And we also had Hosea at the time of Isaiah. So these prophets were going around bringing the word of the Lord. It wasn't just one prophet at a time. Isaiah 61, verse 1, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings to the meek. He hath sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, the opening of the prison to them that are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all that mourn, to appoint unto them that mourn in Zion, to give unto them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they might be called the trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he might be glorified. Now we find in the New Testament that when Jesus enters into a synagogue and he takes the scroll off, the attendant as it were, and as he rolls it out, he finds the place where you and I would have Isaiah 61. And he reads it in the ears of all who are in the synagogue. So what he is doing, he is saying, the Lord who said he's the one who heals, who sets free, who delivers, the one who comes to comfort the morning, the one and the only one who can do this, he says, I am he. Jesus is saying that in the synagogue. He rolls a scroll up and he gives it to the attendant again. You'll read that in Luke chapter 4. So the Lord, you see, in the Old Testament, tears the kingdom off. Israel. If you read when you go home, mark it down, write it. First Kings chapters, if you even read from 10 to 12, it'll give you a good coverage of what is going on. And God rents the kingdom in two. They go to fight one with another, and God says, this is from me. Don't fight about it. So the house of Israel in the north fall into sin. Hosea preaches to them and prophesies. Amos, Elijah, and Elisha are there also. And as they're saying to turn away from their sin, God would bring in judgment upon them. They don't. And so the Assyrians under King Sennacherib comes, and he takes them away captive. And they go up into where the Caucasus Mountains are today, and they migrate towards the west. We find in the New Testament, Paul goes to preach to the east. And the Holy Spirit tells him to go west, following the lost sheep. Notice this. In Ezekiel chapter 34, you can either listen or turn quickly, write it down. Ezekiel 34 and verse 16. 
Now the southern kingdom has been carried away captive also 120 years later. And they're in Babylon with King Nebuchadnezzar and so on. Ezekiel is there by the river Chebar. And this is what the Lord says to Ezekiel. I will seek that which was lost and will bring back that which was driven away. What was driven away? Israel were driven away. And bring back that which driven away, I will bind up that which was broken. Sounding now like Isaiah 61, isn't it? It's sounding like Luke chapter 4, that Jesus opens the scroll and reads it. It sounds like Hosea chapter 6, the Lord will bind up. The Lord says, I will have to do this, because man cannot save. The word here for lost, by the way, that which was lost is a word of ad, and it gives the idea of a wandering sheep. Put in, or someone put in to exile. To bring back is the word shuv, and it means I will recover. I will turn them to face me again in repentance, or metaphorically, it gives the idea of a sinner being converted to him. Of a sinner being converted. Can I ask you, brother, sister, how is a sinner converted but through the Lord Jesus Christ? How is a sinner Seals, but through the Lord Jesus Christ. How are we forgiven of our sins, but through the Lord Jesus Christ? And God says he will come and do it himself. And he did it when Christ died on Calvary's tree for us. I notice, if you will turn quickly to Jeremiah 16. Jeremiah chapter 16, just a little verse. Notice what the Lord says again. Verse 16. Chapter 16, verse 16. He says, Behold, I will send for many fishers, saith the Lord, and they shall fish them. Notice the language. I will send for many fishers, saith the Lord, and they shall fish them. And after will I send for many hunters, and they shall hunt them from every mountain and from every hill and out of the holes of the rock. God again says, I'm going to send forth fishers. Now, it takes us again years, years in advance then into the New Testament when Jesus walks along the shores of Galilee. He sees Peter and Andrew, and he sees James and John, and they're mending, and they're, 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 they're casting their nets, and he calls unto them, follow me, and I will make you to become fishers of men. Jesus said this, I'm going to make you to go fish for men. For who? He says, he says, I'm come to seek the lost sheep of the house of Israel. The Bible explains itself. He says, you are going to be the fishers of men. Notice in John chapter 10 and verse 16, Jesus says, other sheep have I which are not of this fold. Them also must I bring. They shall hear my voice, and there shall be one fold and one shepherd. What fold? Of this fold, other sheep, which are not of this fold. What fold? The fold when he went to speak to Judah, or the Jews that were around Jerusalem at the time, and in Galilee. Who's he speaking of? Oh, the Gentiles. Oh, he's speaking of scattered Israel, yet the Gentiles could hear the gospel. That's the other fold. And so he says, I will send you forth to preach to them. So it's only in Christ that our redemption is paid. And it's only in Christ that the ransom was found. And God must work a work. 
Listen, friend, if you're not saved, God must work a work. God must move a sovereign move on the life and the heart for a man and a woman to be saved. If God doesn't move on you, you will never be saved. But if God is speaking to you today, if you hear his voice, you listening? Harden not your heart. My sheep hear my voice. And I know them and they follow me. So here we have this. So secondly, in Hosea 6 and 2, if you'll turn again with me, you're saying, what's this got to do with the Reformation? It's got everything I'm going to show you. Verse 2, after two days will he revive us. So they're scattered. They're gone. The house of Israel are gone. They're, they're migrating. They're up around the Caucasus, heading westward. Notice this. After two days will he revive us. In the third day he will raise us up, and we shall live in his sight. Here we have, through the sun, we are reconciled or we are united again with God. Through the sun. After two days, what does it mean two days? Well, for example, Luke chapter 10, remember the man on the road to Damascus or Jericho? And, and when he was on the road to Jericho, he, he was jumped upon by thieves and he was badly beaten and We'll not go through the whole story. The priest and the Levite goes on, and then the Samaritan, the good Samaritan, comes and takes him, pours in the oil and the wine to, to uh, heal his, his wounds, and he puts him on his beast, and he takes him to the innkeeper. And when he takes him to the innkeeper, the Lord tells us this, Luke 10 and 35, Whatsoever thou spendest more, when I come again, I will repay thee. He gives him two pence. Now, this is important. The Lord gives, or the Samaritan who represents the Lord Jesus, gives him two pence to the innkeeper. He says, and if I owe you any more, I will repay you when I come back. Two pence. Well, the scripture also tells us in Matthew 20 and verse 2, that the vineyard owner, he agreed with the men to work for him for a penny a day. A penny a day. A day. So we have a pattern forming here. A penny a day for the work or the labor. So if it was a penny a day, what happens? It's two days, it's two pence. See, it's easy, isn't it? It's, it's not too hard of a, of a Maz that, of Maz exam that. I could even pass that one. Stay with me. Hosea 6 and 2. After two days will he revive us. And the third day he will raise us up. We shall live in his sight. Two days, two pence spent. Notice 2 Peter 3 and verse 8. 2 Peter 3 and verse 8, Peter says, But beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years. And the thousand years is one day. So here we have a penny a day labor. We have two pennies given to the innkeeper, which is two days. So two pennies, two days is two thousand years. Now, Jesus is saying that in his day about his second coming again. And if I owe you, so we don't know the day or the hour, if it's over that 2,000-year bracket, if I owe you when I come again, not if, but when I come again, I will repay thee. 
But now, what has this got to do with the Reformation? Okay, if we take it from Hosea, his prophecy of what would happen to the northern kingdom of Israel. To the northern kingdom. This is important. Here's the timepiece. The northern kingdom of Israel, the deportations of Sennacherib, they started coming from the east to the west and taking the people out of the land, bringing them in captivity. They went, they went east and then north and then carried over the Caucasus west. And they started that in 744 B.C. Now, in Samaria, the capital city of the northern kingdom of Israel, it was finally taken captive in 721 B.C. Okay? So the people in their, nor in their capital city was the final fall. In 721 B.C., they were taken away, and they ceased to be a nation or a kingdom again. So we have to do 721 B.C., and then we have, in the house of Israel, the final deportation was in 676 B.C. They went right across, and the final deportation, bringing them away, was in 676 B.C. Now, you don't need to remember those numbers. You can listen to it again. 676, two days, two pence, 2,000 years. 676, we go right down to the year zero, one for the crossover, there's no year not, and then one, two, three, four, up to where we go into the AD era. If we do that for 2,000 years, it brings us to the year 1324 AD. 1324 AD. What's the big deal about that? Well, that was the birth date of John Wycliffe, the morning star, of the Reformation. Precision in the Word of God. Precision in the Word of God. John Wycliffe became known as the morning star of the Reformation. If you lived around his day, you'd have seen the Black Plague across Europe and into Britain. You'd have seen it right across in the Hundred Years' War between England and France. The Peasants' Revolt in 1381. And of course, you'd have seen the greed, the idolatry, the darkness, the superstition, and the abuses of the Roman Church. The Bible written in Latin that the poor couldn't read it. It was a, it was a, a sect and a class only that could read it, chained to a pulpit that it couldn't be brought home. And the people lived in darkness. The people... And I'm not saying this lightly, but the people were kept not only in darkness, but they were fed in the vilest of doctrine. John Wycliffe, the morning star of the Reformation, he got what was known as the poor preachers of all large together, and he taught them the Scriptures. And he sent them across England preaching the Word of God to the common people. He preached against the teachings of purgatory, the sale of indulgences, and the doctrine of transubstantiation, that is, the mass, the real presence in the wafer god disc of Rome. He preached against this, and he gave us this, the, the Bible, as it were, into the hands of the English tongue to the poor, that they could understand and read the Word of God. 
John Wycliffe said himself, God's word will give men new life more than other words that are for pleasure. Oh, marvelous power of the divine seed which overpowers strong men in arms, softens hard hearts, and renews and changes into divine men those who had been brutalized by sins and departed infinitely far from God. John Wycliffe said that. I go on, he says, Obviously such miraculous power could never be worked by the work of a priest. If the spirit of life and the eternal word did not, above all else, all things else, work with it. He's saying only the word of the living God can change the soul. This was the second day, the 2,000 years. And what does it say? After two deaths. After two deaths, he will revive us. Who? God who hath torn the kingdom. God will revive us. How? He will send forth fishers and hunters. How will he do it? He will speak comfortably unto his people. How will he do it? With the gospel of saving grace in our Lord Jesus Christ. There's the healing for our nation, brothers and sisters. The word of God back in our land. On the 31st of December, 1384, John Wycliffe died. And such was his impact that he had in England. The Council of Constance ordered all of his works to be found and destroyed. They then ordered 30 years later his bones to be exhumed, burned to ash, and cast into the river Swift. Such was the impact that the Bible had through John Wycliffe. 2,000 years. 2,000 years. Listen to what Archbishop Fuller says about it. Notice this. They burnt his bones to ashes and cast them into their swift, a neighboring brook running hard by. Thus the brook had conveyed his ashes into Avon, Avon into Severn, Severn to the narrow seas, and they into the main ocean. And thus the ashes of John Wycliffe are the emblem of his doctrine, which now has dispersed the world over. Just as they cast it into a little river, he says it went into greater rivers, into the sea, as if it went around the world, and such is the word of God. On the third day, he will raise us up. On the third day. And I find in the third day that the reformers came. We're over the 2,000 years when John Wycliffe had translated the scriptures and sent forth the law lords. Then in the third day, a great awakening came. Martin Luther, October 31st of October, 1517. 
He went to the Wittenberg Cathedral door and he nailed 95 theses to the door. God had moved on the heart of this man. The Holy Spirit had brought the so-called evil division that Copeland speaks about. It was of God when he cried, the just shall live by faith. Kneeling it to the door. The third day he will raise us up and we shall live in his sight. There's no life outside of Christ, friend. You're not living if you don't know Christ. You're existing. If your heart's beating and your lungs are breathing, you're existing. But Jesus says, the thief or the devil comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Listen, I am come. That they may have life and they may have it more abundantly. You're only existing without Christ. We had the reformers. We think even before that, 1369, John Huss in Prague. The 14, 15 he lived. I've sat in, I went to his bedroom and sat in his bedroom and I've sat in the wee ledge he used to look at. You go to Prague and you can see it, there's not much of it left. He was burned at the stake by a cunning trick of the Jesuits who told him because then, even before Luther, he wouldn't participate in the the Mass. And so he had to flee and he was lured back to say, look, your followers are here and everything's going to be fine. Go to Prague, it tells you all about it. To this day. And so they took him by craft and burned him to the stake and as his followers were all around him, they said to them, look, John Huss's name means goose. Your goose has been cooked. That's where the saying comes from. Your goose has been cooked. So we find here, we think of Jerome of Prague and we could go on. We think of early reformers like the Waldensians in in northern Italy. They got the name Israel in the Alps. At the Great Awakening, Germany with Martin Luther in 1517. And so we mark the 500th anniversary today as Reformation Sunday. Tuesday will be it to the date. We had Holdrich Schwingli in Switzerland. Then came John Calvin in France. John Knox in Scotland. Thomas Cranmer, Cranmer, Archbishop of Canterbury in 1527. We had the five solas that were produced through the reformers. Sola Scriptura, by Scripture alone. Sola Fide, by faith alone. Solas Christos, through Christ alone. Solo Gratia, by grace alone. Sola Deo Gloria, glory to God alone. Glory to God alone. It wasn't a papal decree but it was all in Christ. You see the binding? Elizabeth I, the Protestant queen, saw the expansion, the blessing of God upon the British people. The Bible went with them and the great Christian empire was established around the world. The nations heard the word of God, the gospel of the good news of Jesus Christ. 
and his great salvation. See, friend, God was doing a great work. God is still doing his great work. So we have, thirdly, the Spirit outpouring. Hosea 6 and verse 3. Then shall we know if we follow on to know the Lord. His goings forth is prepared as the morning, and he shall come unto us as the rain, as the latter and former rain to the earth. Spiritual outpourings came. Spiritual blessings came. Great awakenings came. The Reformers, the Puritans, the Evangelical Awakenings. We had the Wesleys and the Whitfields and Spurgeons and the Parkers, the McLarens. And we had so many of them coming. God was pouring out of his spirit and God was blessing. William Carey, missionary to India. Hudson Taylor to China. David Livingstone to Africa. Mary Slessor to Africa. The British and Foreign Bible Societies were formed. 95% of missionary work came from the United Kingdom. Christian reform came. Prison reform by Elizabeth Fry. William Wilberforce lobbied to free the slaves. Lord Shaftesbury stops child labor. John Groom stops help, starts help for the disabled. And Dr. Bernardo for the orphans. All because these people turned to the Scriptures and became people of the Word, saved by grace. He will revive us. And the third day, he will raise us up. Britain arose a world empire. They became established. They became powerful. They would arise and colonize. And they would come together. And I know there were many things that were not good but yet they changed the world. They brought the Scriptures. Who says, second then, let me just run through what happened till we go into the book of Revelation. Hosea's second day ends in 1324. John Wycliffe produces the first translation of the Bible into English from Latin. John Huss and Jerome are in Prague. 1453 was the flight of the Greek scholars. They, they had to flee Constantinople because of persecution. And they brought their knowledge of Greek with them. Your New Testament is mainly written in Greek. 1454, the invention of the printing, a printing press was in Germany and then into Holland. 1458, Caxton introduced printing into England. It's very important because they had to write it meticulously by hand. It was very slow. 1516, Erasmus printed the first Greek New Testament. 1517, on the 31st of October, we had Martin Luther. 1518, Huldrych Swingley printed the first Swiss New Testament. 1522, Luther's New Testament came out in German. 1526, William Tyndale's English New Testament and Swedish Bible was produced. 1539, the great Bible placed in every church by royal command of Henry VIII. 1611, the King James authorized version was produced, the book that changed the world. 
the book that changed the world. You know, William Tyndale was strangled and burned. And when Tyndale was being strangled and burned, he prayed, Lord, open thou the king of England's eyes. Within three years, Henry VIII had declared the Bible to be in every pulpit that everybody could read it in every church. Who says there was no prophecy throughout these times? We shall live in his sight. Turn with me, if you will, just briefly. We're going to come to a close soon. To Revelation chapter 10. Revelation chapter 10. Verse 1. And I saw another mighty angel come down from heaven, clothed with a cloud, and a rainbow was upon his head, and his face were as it were the sun, and his feet as pillars of fire. And he had in his hand a little book open, underline it, underscore it, a little book opened. And he set his right foot upon the sea and his left foot on the earth, and cried with a loud voice as when the land roareth. And when he had cried, seven thunders uttered their voices. And when the seven thunders had uttered their voices, I was about to write, and I heard a voice from having, heaven saying unto me, Seal up those things which the seven thunders uttered, and write them not. And the angel which I saw stand upon the sea and upon the earth, lifted up his hand to heaven, and swore by him that liveth forever and ever, he hath created heaven and the things that therein are, and the, and the earth and the things that in, therein are, and the sea and the things which therein are, that there should be time no longer. But in the days of the voice of the seventh angel, when he shall begin to sound, the mystery of God should be finished, as he hath declared to his servants the prophets. And the voice which I heard from heaven spake, again, spake unto me again and said, Go and take the little book which is open in the hand of the angel which standeth upon the sea and upon the earth. And I went to the angel and said unto him, Give me the little book. And he said unto me, Take it and eat it up. It shall be it shall make thy belly bitter, but it shall be in thy mouth sweet as honey. And I took the little book out of the angel's hand and ate it up, and it was in my mouth as sweet as honey. And as soon as I had eaten it, my belly was bitter. And he said unto me, Thou must prophesy again before many peoples and nations and tongues and kings. A little book open. John on the Isle of Patmos now, in the revelation of Jesus Christ, there's an angel. Uh, uh, this angel is, is a symbol of the Lord Jesus and his gospel. There are many identification marks. I haven't time to go into them. I'll do a study on it some other night. But this, this angel, he has the little book open in his hand. He has one foot upon the earth, and one on the land, and one foot in the sea. What did he say in Gen or Jeremiah 16 and 16? I will send fishers and hunters, and they shall across the land and across the seas. Here he's showing dominion of the Word of God, going across land and sea. And as he does this little book open, he says, take the book. The Lord says, take the book and eat it. And when John comes to take the book and eat it, he says he hears seven thunders, and he's told not to write them down. I'll teach him that sometime. But there were seven papal bulls at this time when the Reformation came. Seven main papal bulls. 
And the seven million people, Boons went forth, that there was uh, declaring basically that people would be uh, murdered if they adhered to this heresy of the Word of God. And the angel says, or the Lord says, don't write them, but seal it up. Yet everything else is revealed in the book of Revelation. And so here he sees them, one foot on the earth, one foot on the, in, in the, on the sea. He sees the book in his hand, little book open, and one, one fan pointing up toward heaven. Here he's saying to him, this is the open Bible. This is the Word of God that will come forth. This is God breathing into the nations, peoples, and tongues. He says, John, you're going to prophesy. But the thing is, John didn't. John didn't. In fact, John got off Patmos and became a pastor of Ephesus. People think John died in Patmos. He didn't. He got released from Patmos and he became the pastor of the Ephesus church. He was about 100 years old in Ephesus. In fact, he was that old he couldn't walk or preach and they carried him out and he used to say outside his house that was his great pulpit. And he used to go, love one another. And they used to carry him back in again. That was a sermon. There's a sermon for you, brother and sisters. Love one another. John didn't go across, but I'll tell you what happened. The revelation that God gave him did. That's what the Lord is saying. We find that all of this has happened. The latter rain that the Lord speaks of in Hosea 6 and 3 came. After all the great awakenings, then the Pentecostal blessing came. Topeka, Kansas, 1901, Sousa Street, 1906. It came to the Jeffrey, 1904. We think of the Hebridee revival. We think of, of all the wonderful revivals that came. The Ulster revival, all of them, 1859 and so on. God started pouring out His Spirit and blessing and power. The, William, the, the Williams brothers and the Jeffreys brothers, and we could go on and on and on, God blessing. I haven't time to go through Revelation chapter 10, but I trust you're seeing here this little book open. When you eat it, oh, it's nice, isn't it? It's good, but when it hits your belly, it's bitter. You know why? Because it demands of the heart. Demands your life. The word of God demands from you that which God wants from you and expects of you. It's bitter. It's bitter to the flesh. It's bitter. Every one of you outside of Christ were an enemy of God. Every one of us. So, let me just say this in closing. I'm going to read this out. I've written it down meticulously. When I finish reading this out, I'm going to close tonight. I would love to tell you of the fires of Smithfield, the women of the Reformation, young women who wouldn't partake of the mass and were burned at the stake and cut to pieces, have babies cut out of their womb. Young woman who had babies, young woman was, was burned at the stake and she was burning, she had her baby. 
And someone rescued the baby from the fires and he ordered it to be thrown back in again. And Kenneth Copeland thinks it's okay. And so do many others. And even other Christians, I know other Christians, I'll hear this and I know they'll come on to me and I know they'll give me flack and I know they'll call me bigoted and they'll call me bitter and they'll call me hateful and they'll call me everything under the sun. Well, listen, I'm in good company. I'm in good company. Here is a great cloud of witnesses as I finish. Reformation worthies like John Huss, Wycliffe, Luther, Melanston, Swingley, Calvin, Beser, Boucher, Knox, Farrar, Hooper, Latimer, Ridley, Cranmer, Usher, Firth, Barnes, Philpot, Bacon, Turner, Cartwright, Barrow, Jewell, Coverdale, Lord Cobham, Hooker, Ainsworth, Dent, Fox, Bradford, Bullinger, Rogers, Hutchinson, Whitgift, Sir Francis Drake, and a host of others. Post-Reformation worthy such as Isaac Newton, Sir Henry Vance, Brightman, Milton, Baird, Baxter, Bishop Newton, John Bunyan, Fleming, the Wesleys, Matthew Henry, Jonathan Edwards, Gill, Clark, Trapp, Brown, Augustus Toplady, Poole, Clarkson, Swimmock, Brooks, Charnock, Sibbs, Goodwin, Goodwin, Owen, Hall, Cunningham, Mountain, Smith, Adams, Perkins, Gilpin, Field, Durham, Burroughs, Thomas Fuller, Charles Haddon, Spurgeon, J.A. Wiley, Elliot, Cumming, Bishop Good, J.C. Ryle, Albert Barnes, Wordsworth, Reverend Alexander Hislop, A.J. Gordon, who's called the father of fundamentalism, D.L. Moody, Hudson Taylor, Grattan Guinness, Salmon, Reverend Dinsdale T. Young, Horn, Close, T.T. Shields, Kensett, Baron Percelli, Finney, F.B. Meyer, all agree with what this is. And the modernists, the leftists, those who have clothed us with political correctness, they tell us, you're wrong. I'm sticking to the word. So just in case someone wants to take it a little bit further, do you not think it's strange that we're celebrating 500 years anniversary of the Reformation? And Pope Francis thinks he's going to announce he wants to come here next year. Do you not think that's strange? Do you not think strange it was Benedict came on the very anniversary of John Knox and had someone dressed as John Knox walking through Edinburgh welcoming him in when he visited? Are people blind to these things? Listen to this. Historic, historic, church, de- historic church decrees. Episcopalian or Anglican. I wonder how many of them, when I read this out, will still stand by this. I don't know. Anglican, the Irish Articles, number 79 and 80. The Bishop of Rome now challengeth to be supreme head of the universal Church of Christ and to be above all emperors, 
kings and princes, is a usurped power to the Scriptures and the Word of God. His works and doctrine do plainly discover him to be that man of sin foretold in the Holy Scriptures. Ask an Anglican what to think of that. Presbyterian. Westminster Confession of Faith, chapter 5, paragraph 6. There is no other head of the church but the Lord Jesus Christ. Nor can the Pope of Rome in any sense be head thereof, but is that Antichrist, that man of sin and son of perdition that exalteth himself in the church against Christ and all that is called God. Ask your Presbyterian minister if they still hold to that. Congregational, the Savoy Declaration, chapter 26, paragraph 4, and the Baptist Confession, although they have now changed it, 1688, paragraph 26 and verse 4, all say the same. John Wesley, in his notes on 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 3, says, He that opposes himself to emperor, once his rightful sovereign and exalted, exalted himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, commanding angels and putting kings under his feet, claiming the highest power, the highest honor, implied in his ordinary title, most holy Lord, most holy Father, he declares himself that he is God, claiming the prerogatives which belong to God alone. And why would you not welcome I didn't write that. Problem is the church is sleeping and it hasn't done its homework. Church is sleeping, hasn't done its homework. You know what it's like? Bah. Bah. Over this way. Nah, what way? They go anywhere at all. The sheeple have lost their way. That's the sheep people. They've lost their way. See, T, look, we reach out the wall. We love people. We care for their souls. But one thing we will not do at any cost, while I'm here anyway, we will not sell Christ out for anyone else. We will not sell Christ out for anything else. He alone is the head of the church, the King of Israel, Christ alone. God bless his word to us this evening.